What's up, church? How you guys doing this morning? All right, good. All right. First service was like, eh, you guys are in it. Okay. All right, you guys got your sleep this morning. All right, that's cool. Uh, hey, just want to reiterate a little bit what AJ talked about just a few minutes ago. Uh, last week at Easter, for Easter services, we had three here at Tiffin Campus. We had almost 1,000 people uh, from Tiffin and Seneca County here. Um, and so that's, it. that's exciting. And I don't say that number just to uh, go, hey, look. You know, I don't say that number to say, hey, look at us. We are so cool. You know, I'm not saying that for that reason. I'm saying it because, number one, behind every number is a soul that's either going to heaven or hell. Okay. Um, that's reality. And number two, I know that there's a bunch of you guys out there who ha- have come together because that's what we are here at Grace. We're a family first and we are a team second and we come together and we do this thing called church, right? Uh, here on Sunday mornings, it takes time, right? It takes hour, hours and hours. And I know some of you guys put hours and hours and hours into last week and our Easter services and our music team killed it and our Grace kids, those teachers did great and tech guys who spent tons of time and just all of you guys that are out there working, I want to let you know that, uh, first of all, I want to thank you um, for doing that, but I also want to just point out, hey, we, last week, as an example, we were able to see God use our work, all right, to reach others, and so um, that's why we're here, all right, that's why we're here in Tiffin, and so that was our first Easter here, it was exciting, um, but, uh, but that's the whole reason why 200 or so of us left our home church, Fremont Campus, and came down here to Tiffin to reach people, and uh, it's, it's so fun to be able to watch God use that, be able to see that with our own eyes, and so that's uh, what we were able to see last week. Uh, this morning, we are going to wrap up our series, we're going to, uh, Greatest Week in History, and, um, and we're going to finish this story. Have you guys enjoyed this series? Yes. At all? Okay, all right. For me, personally, this is just how, my, I'm a logical thinker, this is how my brain works, uh, for me, it's a... Uh, it, it, it just, I don't know, it just means something more when I can put things into chronological order, okay? I don't know if you're like me or not. So as we're looking at the last week before Jesus' death and ultimately his resurrection, right, I'm looking at this and be able to just see and understand how everything kind of, it was like the, you know, the different dominoes that kind of happened to make, uh, to make this thing happen. Uh, it's just, it's really helped me appreciate not only the resurrection, uh, well, not only his death, but also his resurrection even more fully. And so, I don't know, hopefully that has helped you too. But, uh, but yeah, okay. So this morning we're going to, real quick, last time for a long time, we're going to review the story. Okay, you guys with me? Yeah. All right, all right. So this is going to be repeat, reminding us. Is this, is this TV working? We good? No? Doesn't work. Okay, all right. Good to know. All right, so here we go. Okay, so this is the last time you're going to hear this for a while. Here we go. Let's get, this, let's get this going. All right, so it all started, all right, a few weeks before Jesus' death, right? What was he doing? He starts making his way, slowly making his way back to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to die. And he's not in any hurry, right? He's going from village after village after village. He's telling people to get right with God. As he's moving his way there, he finally ends up in this tiny little village called Bethany. Now, Bethany is only a couple miles from Jerusalem. And remember what he does there? He raises a dude from the dead. All right, it's crazy. People are like, whoa, this, you know, people are, he, he doesn't do this in secret. He does this in front of a huge crowd. So everybody's watching. The people had already been to this, his name's Lazarus. Lazarus's funeral, they're there and they're just like, hey, he's, he's awake. He's been dead for four days. And so he does this thing. And this is the first domino that kind of happens. And uh, the religious leaders, when they find out that Jesus has done this in like their own backyard in Bethany, just a couple miles away. I mean, they are 
ticked, right? They already didn't like Jesus. They had already gone back and forth with Jesus throughout the last three years. Uh, but at this point, they're like, hey, we got to kill Jesus. Like, Jesus, he's got to go, right? And not only Jesus, but they're like, hey, we also got to kill Lazarus as well. Again, right? He's got he's to die again. And so from that moment on, they start looking for a way to kill Jesus. And the Saturday before Jesus' death, Jesus dies on a Friday, uh, Friday afternoon. On a Saturday before Jesus' death, people are coming from all over the place. People are flocking in to Bethany, this tiny little town from Jerusalem, huge town, two miles away. They, they're flocking in into Bethany because they not only want to see Jesus, they also want to see the dead guy, right? They want to see Lazarus, with, which makes sense. That's what I would want to see. All right, so Saturday, people are coming all over. They're seeing this. They're hearing Jesus talk, and they believe. The religious leaders, they're all ticked off. On Sunday morning, Jesus and his disciples, they ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's Palm Sunday, right? It's what we call Palm Sunday. Everybody's waving palm branches. People are throwing their coats on the ground. They're all yelling, Hosanna. Everybody's saying, hey, you know, blessed is the king, right? Jesus is king. All hail Jesus king. And everybody is thinking, these are all Jewish people, everybody believes that except for the religious leaders, that Jesus, right, is this promised Messiah that God had promised the Jewish people through the Old Testament prophets, okay? Because God had promised them that, hey, someday I'm going to send you a Savior. He's not only going to be a Savior for for you, but he's going to be Savior for the whole world. Jewish people didn't quite understand that part of it quite yet, but they're like, hey, this is him, right? This is going to be the king. He's going to come. He's going to establish himself as king. He's going to overthrow the Roman government who was in charge of Israel at that time. Israel, and they're thinking, is going to become a nation again. They hadn't been a nation for hundreds of years, and they are pumped. Everybody is ready for Jesus to become their king. Even the disciples are ready. And on Sunday, that he rides into Jerusalem. He goes up to the temple. He kind of looks around, and then he leaves, goes back to Bethany, kind of anticlimactic. On Monday morning, all right, Jesus and his disciples, they, they really spend the night in Bethany throughout the week at Lazarus's house, and, uh, and they ride into Jerusalem each day. On Monday morning, they, they go back to Jerusalem. They head up to the temple. Jesus looks around at the temple. He sees some stuff that he doesn't appreciate, and uh, what he sees is that there are people, uh, like merchants and stuff, that have set up tables and set up stuff. They're, they're money exchangers as well, that, uh, that are set up kind of shop within the temple, and this really bugs Jesus. All right, this actually enrages Jesus because in Jesus' eyes, he's going, hey, this is like the most holy, like think about it, this is like the most holy place on earth. This is where people from all over the world can come and worship their creator, all right, God, the one and only true God. And here these, these guys, they're trying to make money off this, off these people coming in to worship God. And so Jesus is furious. He starts flipping tables. He starts driving people out. He's throwing things. I mean, he is making a mess. And when the, when the religious leaders see this, it infuriates them even more, okay? Because Jesus is now messing with their religion, all right? He's messing with their way of life. He's messing with their rules. And for the next couple days on Tuesday and Wednesday, Right? Jesus, he's in Jerusalem. He's in the temple. He's, he's teaching the people. There's people from all over the world there uh, celebrating this huge festival called Passover. Hundreds of thousands of people are in Jerusalem during this week, and he's teaching them, and he's, he's, he's uh, telling them uh, you know, about God and, and encouraging people to, to get right with God. And the religious leaders, what are they doing? We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? They're like trying to trap Jesus. They're questioning his authority. They're saying, who, you know, who are you to have the right to tell us you know, what to do? And they're, and they're, but they can't trap Jesus because 
Jesus is God and he's way smarter than any of us. And so, you know, and so they do that. We actually looked uh, a little bit at what Jesus had to say throughout those couple of days. And then on Thursday, Jesus and the disciples, they go back to Jerusalem and they're there to celebrate the Passover and the Passover meal. Pretty much all day, Peter and John, they work hard on preparing the meal at night. When night comes, uh, they go to the second story room. And, uh, and we've talked about this the last couple weeks. And they're up there and Jesus is troubled. And that's not how we usually think about God, right? Usually we don't think like God is, is, uh, is bothered. Like nothing's really, you know, nothing really bothers God. God's God. It's kind of how we think. But no, here Jesus, I mean, he's like grieved in his soul. Like he is, he's in, his, his heart is like troubled. And he just kind of comes out and says it. He says, hey, one of you, one of you guys are going to betray me. And immediately, all the disciples, including Judas himself, because they're all up there, they're like, whoa, not me. Jesus, I would never do that. Jesus, I got your back. I'm behind you 100%. Remember, even Peter stands up and he's like, even if all of these guys fall away, I will not. Like, I'm Peter. There's no way, Jesus, I'm behind you 100% through the thick, through the thin. I'm behind you through everything. Right? And, and Jesus even tells him, he says, hey, you know, all of you guys are actually going to fall away here pretty quick. And at that moment, remember, uh, remember Judas, I forgot his name for a second. Judas, he gets up, he leaves, he goes straight to the religious leaders and he says, hey, how much, uh, how much money were we talking about that you'd give me, you know, in order if I gave you over to Jesus? He's saying, hey, tonight's the night. I know exactly where Jesus is going to be. We could take care of this whole Jesus thing tonight. In the meantime, the disciples, they have no idea why Jesus, Judas left, and, um, and they have no idea who's going to betray him, or they, you know, they're arguing with Jesus about it, all right? Then they start arguing about, uh, amongst themselves about who's better than the other, all right? This is last night before Jesus' death, and Jesus kind of draws them all in, and he says, hey, guys, focus and listen here, and he institutes this thing called communion, he said, I just want you to do this thing because I'm going to be gone soon, and I want you to remember about what I'm about to do for you. See, they have no clue about what's, go- what, what's going to happen. They have no clue what's going on. They don't know what Jesus is talking about. And then afterwards, Jesus takes them to a nearby garden. They go in the garden to pray, and, uh, and after they pray for a little while, uh, a mob comes in. They got their torches. They got their swords. They're led by Judas, one of Jesus' own you know, crew, you know, one of his own disciples. He walks in, and they end up arresting Jesus and the disciples. Just as Jesus had just told them, they all ran away. They don't want no part of it. They take off. They take Jesus to the high priest's house, and they have this rigged trial in the middle of the night while everybody's sleeping, and they, they condemn Jesus. They find him guilty. And on Friday morning, they're ready, right, because they can't put Jesus to death. Only Rome can do that. And so they take him to the Roman governor, Pilate. Pilate examines Jesus, and he straight up tells him, he's like, guys, he has done nothing wrong. Okay, like, Jesus, there's, what did he do wrong? He hasn't done anything wrong. And so Pilate comes up with this plan to appease the crowd. Because, again, there's hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem at this time. He doesn't want to riot on his hands because they'll be his head. And so he comes up with this plan. He has Jesus whipped and scourged almost to the point of death. And then he takes Jesus out. He presents him before the crowd. And the crowd starts saying, crucify that guy. And they take Jesus. And he, he washes his hands in front of him. He says, hey, this is on you. Uh, this, is on, this, this blood is on your hands. And he orders Jesus to be crucified. And they take Jesus uh, just right outside the city to a busy road. And they have him crucified there where he dies later on the afternoon, on Friday afternoon, along with two others. Now, on Saturday, there's no Christians, right? Because there's no Christ. Right? There's no hope. 
right? These guys don't know, you know, they just can't believe, you know, what, what has just happened. This wasn't, going, this wasn't the plan, right? Jesus was supposed to become king. Now he's dead, right? Their lives are on the line. I mean, everybody believed that Jesus would do what all dead people do, which is stay dead. And then something happened. On Sunday morning, some women went and they discovered Jesus' body. Um, and they discovered, they went to go take care of his body, remember? And uh, why? Because they thought he would stay dead, okay? And they get there and his body's gone and, they, and they're like, what happened? So they actually run back to the disciples and they say, hey, someone has stolen the body, right? Notice they don't say that he resurrected from the dead. Hey, he did what he said he was going to do. That's not what they say. They say, someone stole the body, and so the disciples, Peter and John, they run to the, to the tomb. They run to the cave where his, he was buried. And they go and they look. They can't find Jesus at all. And John tells us that's the moment where Peter and John finally, finally believe. See, it wasn't the miracles that convinced people that Jesus was actually God. Right? It was the resurrection. That's what convinced people. And we are told about the resurrection here today because we were told about the resurrection by people who were there, by these disciples. I mean, they're the ones who are telling us this stuff. They didn't always understand it. Right? They didn't always get it. They didn't always, like, they didn't always understand exactly what Jesus was saying. But, uh, but they're just saying, hey, this is what happened. I was there. I saw this with my own eyes. And so immediately after, like, that's kind of where we left off last week um, on Easter. But immediately after, uh, Jesus starts appearing to people, okay? The first one on Easter morning he appears to is this lady called Mary Magdalene. Magdalene, she is, uh, she's at the tomb. She's looking for Jesus' body. She's, she doesn't know what's going on, right? And she looks over, and there's this gardener, or what she thinks is a gardener. And she goes up to him, and she's like, hey, where have you put the body? And turn around, it's like Jesus, right? Pretty cool, right? He's like, hey. She's like, whoa, Jesus. And so Jesus tells her, he says, hey, what I want you to do, Mary, actually, I'm alive, okay? I told you this was going to happen. Maybe he like, he's like, what are you looking at asking for the body? You know, whatever. And so he's like, hey, I want you to go tell my disciples. Go tell them to meet me up in Galilee. Now, Galilee was a region that was about 75 miles north of, uh, of Jerusalem. And that's kind of where Jesus hung out a lot. And so he's like, meet, tell them to meet me up there. And so she goes. Later on that afternoon, uh, there's two guys. They're walking to this nearby village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And uh, as they're walking there, they're talking about it. And so they're, like, you know, they're talking about all the things that have happened. These guys, these two guys are Jesus followers. And then Jesus just straight up shows up, right? He starts walking with them. He's like, hey, guys, what you guys, what you guys talking about? And they're like, they don't realize that it's Jesus, and so Jesus asked what they're talking about. And uh, this is, and they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. So they're all walking along. Jesus said, hey, what, what, what's going on? And like, they just like stop and they're like, they give them that look. You know, again, they don't realize that it's Jesus. And it says, the one, or the one named Cleopas, he answered. He says, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? He's like, are you kidding me? Dude, you don't know what just happened? He says, so Jesus says, what things? He asked them. They said to him, he says, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, that guy, surely you've heard of him. Everybody's heard of him, who, by the way, was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. He's like, and how our chief priests, like you didn't know how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and then they crucified him? But then we were hoping, 
Like we were so hoping that he was the one who is about to redeem Israel. They are so, they're like, man, this is what they're talking about. They're like, man, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the Savior. He was going to come. And again, they're thinking politically. He's going to come and he was going to lead our nation. And he says, besides all this, it's the third day since these things, these things happened. He's like, they're like, he's been dead for three days by now. He says, but then something weird happened. Moreover, some women from our group, they astounded us because they arrived early at the tomb this morning. And when they didn't find his body, they came and they reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was actually alive. And so we hear this and we're like, what is going on? And he says, so some of those who were with us, and we know this is Peter and John, that they went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. And so they're telling this to Jesus, they don't realize they're telling this to Jesus. They just think he's some, some guy, I guess. And, um, and as, as they're walking along, and then Jesus starts explaining to them about how Jesus was actually the Messiah in the Old Testament without giving away who he was. Okay, kind of weird. So they're talking about Jesus. Jesus is kind of talking in third person, and, uh, and, and they still don't realize that it's him. Well, when they get to town... They're like Emmaus. They get, to, they get to Emmaus and they're like, hey, we're, you know, it's getting late. We're going we're gonna to stop in here. And Jesus is like, ah, I'm going to keep walking. And they're like, hey, man, uh, wh- you just, why don't you come eat with us? And Jesus is like, mm, okay. So he goes. And uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 30, verse 30, it says, it was as he reclined at the table. Now, we talked about reclining at the table a couple weeks ago. That's how we should still do it, but we don't do it anymore. All right, sounds good to me. As he reclined at the table with them, that he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to him. So he gives him the bread and says, then their eyes were open. Like, then they're like, oh, you're Jesus. Like, I don't know, something like makes sense. And, uh, and they recognized him, but then he disappeared from their sight. Isn't that kind of weird? You guys don't find that funny? <laughs> like, here's Jesus. Like, picture this. Like, this is, this is what happened, all right? Focus in, focus in, wake up. Okay. Here's Jesus. He's just spent like, all afternoon with these two dudes, all right, with these two guys, Cleopas and whoever the other guy was. He's just spent all afternoon with them. He, he has had them explain Jesus to him, all right? And then he spent the rest of the afternoon explaining Jesus to them, okay, from the Old Testament. And then they go to eat. They have to kind of beg him to eat with them. Okay, so then they go to eat. And then as he, like, prays for the food, they're like, something hits, and it's like, wait, we've heard this before. You're Jesus. And Jesus is like, yep, and then disappears. Okay, I thought that was funny. You guys are boring people. All right. Okay, there we go. So it's weird, okay? It's just funny. It's almost like Jesus is kind of messing with them. Um, I don't know what's going on here, but that's what happens. He just, he just disappears. And when these guys hear it, or when these guys realize it, they said to each other, like, that was Jesus. Did you just see what I saw? And he's, again, he disappeared. And he says, weren't our hearts burning with us, within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining their scriptures to us? He's like, that's why he knows the Bible so well. It's Jesus. Okay, that all makes sense. It says, that very hour, they got up and they returned to Jerusalem and they found, they probably ran there, they found the 11 and those with them gathered together. Okay, so they're like, hey, we got to tell some people, like, tell somebody, we just saw, we just saw Jesus, okay? And so they run back to Jerusalem. They go to this little, you know, probably maybe an upper room or, you know, some, some house that, that the disciples are all hiding in, by the way, because they're, 
cowards. And um, they're all hiding in this little house. And the doors are locked, all right, we're told. And they, they go in. They, they, the disciples let them in. And they're like, hey, guys, you wouldn't believe what just happened. We were just spent all afternoon with Jesus, all right? Remember, he died a couple of days three days ago. All right, we just spent all afternoon with him. And then as they're telling the disciples the story, poof, Jesus shows up again. All right, he doesn't use the door. He like walks through the wall or something. Okay, he's, the door's still locked. And so he just like shows up. He's like, hey guys, I told you I was going to do this. Right, like I, told, I don't know if he like yelled at him a little bit. Like, why'd you believe? I've been telling you this for three years. You guys, you know, or he was just like, what's up? Yeah, I don't know what he did. But uh, but Jesus goes, and he appears to him and shows him, and he actually, he actually eats with him, which is, which is cool. There's one guy who's not there, though. His name is Thomas, all right? He's one of the disciples, one of Jesus' top guys. And uh, they go, maybe the next day or whatever, they go tell Thomas, they're like, Thomas, I told you you should have come with us last night because Jesus showed up, and we talked to him. All right, he was there. He ate with us. And Thomas is like, man, I don't believe your fairy tales. There's no possible way that's possible, all right? He's going, I will not believe that Jesus is still alive unless I could put my hands in the holes of his hand and my hand in the hole in his side where they stabbed him with that spear. Then maybe I'll believe. Now, I think Thomas kind of has gotten a bad rap, you know, throughout church history. It's like the doubt, no one wants to be doubting Thomas, you know. But, but think about this. I would be definitely with him. In, you know, I'd be in the same camp. Like, I'd be in the same boat here. Because for me, you know, I'd just be like, I have, I'll have to, I, I cannot believe unless I, unless I don't see it. You know, I, like, I'd have to see it. I don't know about you. Just think logically like that. I'd have to see it just like Thomas. A week goes by. Nothing. Actually, seven days later, within that week, nothing happens. But seven days later, later they're all eating together. This time, Thomas is like, I'm not missing this, okay? I'm, I'm, I'll be there. And Jesus appears to them again. This time, Thomas is here. And Jesus shows up, and he's just like, hey, Thomas. What now? what now? You believe me now? Hey, Thomas, you want to, why don't you put your hand right here? Why don't you check this out? Oh, you want to see my scar? You know, which some guys do that. You know, it's like, check this out. You know, Jesus is like, hey, you want to put your hand right, right here? All right, put, put your hand in the hole in my side. And Thomas doesn't do that because he, he believes. He instantly falls to the ground. He says, my Lord, my God. Thomas finally believes. And so at this point, Jesus has appeared every, all 12 or all 11 Judas's. God. Um, he appears to all 11 of his disciples and, and many more. And, uh, and a couple weeks go by, and Peter and the disciples, they actually head up to Galilee, where Jesus had told Mary to tell them to go. And so they head up to Galilee, and uh, in John chapter 21, verse 3, they're all standing around. Remember, Jesus hasn't, like, told them what they're going to do, right? Jesus hasn't explained everything to them. He just appears and then disappears. Like, he's doing this kind of, you know, just almost like magic tricks almost. And they're just like, what is going on here? But so they're all standing around. They're where, they're, they've obeyed, right? They're where Jesus had told them to be. And uh, Peter, he turns to them, he just says, I'm going fishing. Now, some of you guys are like, yeah, all right, that sounds pretty good. These guys aren't doing this to like pass time, right? Most scholars believe that when, when Peter says this, when he says, I'm going fishing, he's actually telling his disciples, he's saying, hey, I'm kind of done with this whole Jesus thing. He's saying, hey, I'm going back to the way things used to be. I'm going back to the way it was three years ago when we were professional fishermen because that's, that's, that's what they were. That's what they, that's what they did. He's saying, hey, I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to my old uh, business. I'm going back to the way that life used to be. Remember, these guys don't know what they're supposed to do necessarily. Right? For the last three years, 
the disciples have been thinking that they were going to be top dogs in government, you know, of, of the new Israel, Israeli government. Like they're thinking, hey, this is great. We're going to be top dogs in this revolution. You know, we're going to be, you know, governors or advisors or like VPs to Jesus Incorporated, or, you know, whatever, whatever it is they're, they're excited about. It. So they're thinking, hey, this is how it's going to be for the rest of my life. And now it's gone. Like everything's changed. Their life has turned completely upside down. Like think about the, you know, these guys are like, yeah, I get it. Like, so Jesus died. That wasn't the plan. And he's resurrected, so that's good. But he's not like living a normal life. You know, he's appearing, disappearing. Like he's doing this thing. And what's, what's that mean for us? They're going, it's all good that he resurrected, but I don't know what that means. And so Peter makes this statement where he's like, guys, I'm, I'm going fishing. I'm going back. And the disciples say, hey, we're coming with you. They're like, hey, we're in too. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. It's like me every time I go fishing. That's why I don't go fishing, okay? And it's almost like, in a loving way, it's almost like God kind of messing with them, right? Like these guys are trying to go back. They're like, hey, all right, Jesus, you did your thing. That's cool. Don't know what that means for me. We're going back. And God's like, actually, no, you're not. You could try, but uh, it's not going to go well for you. And he kind of puts a roadblock there. They don't catch anything, okay? Can't be a fisherman if you don't catch anything. And it's just funny because I'm thinking through this. I'm like, you know, what, what were they thinking? Like, what did they think? Did they think that God was done with them? Like, did they think the story was over? Because it wasn't. In verse 4, he says, when daybreak came, okay, Daybreak, so they've been out there all night. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So, picture this. You've been out fishing all night. You haven't caught anything. You're a little frustrated. You have had a few, you know, a, a few rough weeks. They're hungry. They're, you know, it's, it's just, it's probably getting a little testy out there. They're probably tired of the, you know, they're like, we've been with each other for three years. And, you know, yeah, I don't know, you're doing it wrong or whatever. You know, these guys are, they're, they're probably getting on each other's nerves. It's been a rough night. And here's this guy on the shore that says this. He says, hey, friends. Jesus called out to them. Remember, they don't know it's Jesus. He says, hey, uh, you don't have any fish, do you? Now, why does God do that? Don't you, yeah, you ever think about that? Jesus knows the answer. It's almost like he's like, yeah, you ain't getting away from me. I ain't letting you go like that. It's not the question that a fisherman wants to be asked when he comes home empty-handed. You know, like I just spent hours fishing and now you're asking me. And so one of them is just like, now, you know, next verse. It says, this guy says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. And so think about this. These guys are professionals. Here's some random dude on the shore who's like, hey, oh, you didn't throw your net on the right side. And these guys are like, oh, that's the secret. Switch sides. The, side, oh, you have to, the other side of the boat, that, that's the big thing. You know, they're going, dude, you know underwater there is no side. Like, it's the same, it's the same water here. But they did it, all right? And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Now, this is significant because when Jesus first met Peter, James, and John and some of these other guys, this exact thing happened three years before, okay? So, the, and, and this is what happened. So, Jesus, what he's doing is he's actually repeating 
a miracle that he's already that he did when they first met. Right? And he's doing this on purpose. And so that story, back up three years, when Jesus is first starting out in his ministry, and he's telling people about, you know, he's preaching, he's doing his thing. Um, the disciples are there, and they're fishermen, and they're sitting in their boats, and they're kind of listening to what Jesus has to say. He's a new rabbi. Let's check this out. And then Jesus comes up to him, and he says, hey, uh, take me fishing. And Peter tells us that he's like, hey, we were out all night fishing we didn't catch any fish. And so he tells Jesus, he's like, hey, there's no fish out there. It's not a good time. All right, check, me, check up, you know, tomorrow maybe. But, but we're, we're tired. We've been fishing all night. We haven't caught a single fish. And Jesus is like, ah, oh, let's, let's, just, let's just try, right? And so they're, you know, they probably roll their eyes like, okay, do it. He's a rabbi. I guess do it for him, you know. And so they're like, all right, get in the boat. And they take him out there, and, uh, and they throw their nets down. And they were, their nets, they caught so many fish that their nets started breaking. And immediately when Peter sees this, I mean, this guy has been fishing all of his life. Immediately when Peter sees this, he falls down and he, on his face, and he says, go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. Like Peter gets it. Now, fast forward three years to this time. Jesus is doing the exact same thing that he did to his disciples three years ago. He's doing the exact same thing. And they pull up so much fish. Actually, when they see the large number of fish, and we know that they counted it because John tells us there's actually 153 fish in that net. And they're like, you know, fishermen always count their fish. All right. Verse 7. It says, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, as John referring to himself, super humble. uh, He says, John's like, uh, John said to Peter, and this is John who's telling us this. So John turns to Peter and says, hey, that's got to be him. That's, that's Jesus, all right? That's the Lord way out there. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. So he dives right in as fast as he can. He's swimming to the shore. He's like, Jesus ain't going to disappear before I get there now. You know, he gets there. And uh, since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples, they came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. And when they get to shore, what they find is that Jesus is there, right? He's already got breakfast cooking on a fire. He's got fish for them, uh, for them on a fire. And they kind of all sit around, and they have kind of one, almost kind of like one last, one last talk. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, hey, Peter, i got a question for you. Um, do you love me? Kind of an odd question. And Peter's like, yeah, yeah, you, you know I do. Why are you asking that? Come on. Then a little bit later, Jesus is like, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, I just, yeah, of course I do. And then Jesus asks him a third time. And each time Peter's like, yeah. And, and the third time, it really bothers Peter that Jesus would ask him. All right, and they're having a moment here. By the way, remember the last time that they had a moment? Last time they had a moment was what we talked about last week was at least two or three weeks before when Jesus is dying at his trial where, where Peter is denying that he even knows Jesus to a little middle school girl. Remember, they, they look at each other and they make eye contact. Jesus looked around and he looks at Peter. Peter knows exactly what he did. And he runs, takes off, messed up on the, I mean, he's, he's broke, he's broken. Here they are, they're having another moment. What Jesus is doing, he asked them three times, just like Peter denied Jesus three times. What he's doing, he's actually restoring their relationship. He's restoring it. And it's not like Jesus takes Peter around the shoulder and is like, hey, you guys eat your fish. Hey, Peter, I've been meaning to talk to you. 
That's not what he does. He doesn't have a private conversation with them. Everybody's there. Right? Everybody's sitting in a circle around this fire. And he's like, hey, Peter, got a question for you. Right? And everybody, it's probably a super intense but also super awkward moment. Have you ever had, have you ever been like struggling all right, with something that is just embarrassing and everybody, no one's like helping, everybody's just kind of watching? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, thank you, whoever that was. All right, appreciate that. Yeah, um, just on Friday, okay, I was at Walmart, okay, and I'm getting some, I'm getting some canoe paddles for our men's event that we're going to have Friday, Friday night. And so I'm there. And I go get the paddles, you know, in the sporting goods section. You know how Walmart's set up. Basically, you got the sporting goods, like, in one corner, kind of. And then you got, like, food. Food's kind of in the other back corner. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, we all shop at Walmart. We're not afraid to say it. Okay, so I'm there. And I'm, so I put the, the paddles in my cart, and I start walking down that main kind of back-ish aisle um, at Walmart. And I'm almost to the food section, okay? So that shows you how, how far I've made it. And I, and I realize I'm, like, tripping over something. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I'm looking. I don't see anything. And I'm like, something. And I can't push my cart anymore. I'm like, what is going on? It's like I hit a barrier that I can't see. And what I realized is that I have been dragging a, actually, my front wheel had caught, like, a like fishing line <laughs> that I've been dragging all the way from the sporting goods section, right? So I'm like, so I have this, like, line. And it's, like, taut. And it's like this far off the floor, you know, and I'm, that's what I've been tripping over. And I'm like, you know, and I'm like, I'm like tethered to Walmart way over there, you know. It's embarrassing. And people are starting to look. And so I'm like, I like stomp it down and I'm like trying to push, push the cart and I can't break it. I broke it, okay. But it took a while. You know, I'm like pushing. I'm like, what is going on? It's like sliding under my shoe. I'm just like, just ram it. And uh, I finally got it. But people are like looking around and I'm wondering, I'm like, because it's hard for me to be able to see it, a white floor. And I'm like, people don't know what I'm doing. I look, you know, like an idiot. I'm like in the middle of the aisle, like trying to push my cart. You know, it looks stupid. But, uh, but it's super embarrassing, all right? People are watching me struggle, and, and no one's offering me any assistance, which I don't want any. I just didn't want to be there at all at that moment. But uh, I just left the, once I broke it, I left that thing lay. <laughs> I'm not going to walk it back, you know? But... Uh, but that's kind of what's going on here, right? The disciples, they're all sitting around. They're watching Peter struggle. They're watching P- Peter and Jesus kind of have this thing. It's awkward, super awkward. And, and it's good for Peter as Jesus is pointing this out. But, but they're just like, Ugh, you know, they're not offering any assistance. In verse 18, it says, uh, Jesus, he looks at Peter after the third time and after everybody's struggling, it's just super awkward. He says, truly I tell you that when you were younger, Peter, that you would tie your belt and you would walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, he's saying you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and they will carry you where you don't want to go. John tells us that he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, he says, hey, Peter, follow me. He's saying, you follow me. He's saying, hey, your attention, right, Peter, your attention is to only be on Jesus and his his mission. He's like, your attention should only be on me and my mission and what I have you doing. By the way, he's not just saying this for Peter to know. He's also saying this for the disciples to know, and it's written down for us to know. Right, like this is for us. 
Jesus is telling us, hey, you follow me. Hey, you pay attention, all right? Your, your attention should only be on me and my mission. Now that's something I feel like we all need to remember. Because why? Because we get distracted. I mean, every single one of us, right, we get so distracted with everything going on in life. I mean, think about like your daily routine. You wake up, you spend some time on your phone, you actually get up, and then you take a shower, you, you iron your shirt, you brush your teeth, you take care of the kids, you get them sent off to school, then you get in your car, you drive to work. When you're at work, you work all morning, you eat lunch, then you work all afternoon, you have your meetings that you all need to have, and then you get off, you, you work out, you pick the kids up from school, you go, you feed them dinner, right? you, you go to the kids' game, you, you, know, you do this, you do that, you watch TV, you put the kids to bed, and then you go back to bed yourself. And we do this thing, you just get in this routine of all this stuff, and some of it is important, right? Like, really, we get that. It's, it's important. Spending time with your family, that's, that's important. And we fill our day with important stuff. But we neglect the most important thing. See, we tend to forget what Jesus did for us. And when I say that, I don't mean, like, we don't know. I, most of us in this room, I think we all, I think most of us, not all of us, I think most of us believe what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago as he died on the cross. We believe this true story, and, uh, and, and we know it. I just don't think we think about it much. You know? Because we don't think about it much, it doesn't really affect our daily life. It's like, in the back of our mind, it's on the back burner, like, yeah, I believe that, but... It doesn't really change us. See, we've all gotten, I think, too comfortable, and life isn't about being comfortable, right? We get that? I mean, we understand that. I mean, here's Jesus saying, hey, uh, Peter, you're going to die. That's not usually comfortable, okay? They're gonna, people are going to kill you, right? They're going to lead you where you don't want to go. And, uh, but, but, Peter, you focus on me. All right, you focus on me. All right, your life's going to get rough. You're going to die for me, but you stay focused on me because that's what matters. And you would think that Peter would be like, okay, Jesus, I got it. Especially after this awkward situation that they just had. Is Jesus kind of bringing up what Peter has done that he's embarrassed about? Denying him three times? Right after, by the way, he said that he would never do that. And you'd think Peter would just be like, okay, got it. Yeah, all right, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm with you to the end. Kind of not what happens. Check this out. This cracks me up. And so Peter turned around. As Jesus is telling him this, and he saw the disciple that Jesus loved, all right? This is John, and, uh, and he's, John's following them, all right? They're heading up to this mountain. And when Peter saw him, he said, hey, Jesus, um, Lord, how's he going to die? What about him? Is that funny to you? I mean, it's just, it's like, here's Peter, he's like, oh, I got to die, okay, all right. What about him? How's he going to die? I want to know. All right? And he says, and so Jesus, he responds to him. He says, if I want him to remain until I come back someday, he's like, what's that to you? You know, sometimes I wonder if, if Jesus would ever just, was, was ever just like, oh, come on. I can't, you know, like, you got to be, get Peter. Come on, man. Focus on me. You're not focused, you know. And look what he does. He says, what's that to you? And as for you, Peter, he repeats himself. He's like, Peter. Follow me. You focus on me. Don't worry about him. That's not for you. That's between me and him. But you, Peter, you focus on me. Peter's already distracted. Matthew then records for us that Jesus, he gives them their job. And, and, and basically their job for them and for us here today, for those of us who are Christians in here, are we are to go and make disciples, meaning we are to go and to tell people what Jesus has done. He's like, hey, disciples, you need to go tell people what you have seen, heard, and experienced. 
And from this moment on, like this was the moment the church was born. Right? These young, cowardly disciples who all ran away at the first sign of trouble. Right? Who start telling people about Jesus. They start telling people about the resurrection. And they don't stop. And all of them, except for maybe John, get executed because they won't shut up about it. Right? The government comes down hard. See, people are willing to die for things that they believe in. Sure, we understand that. But nobody dies for something that they know is a lie. These guys, they knew this was truth. And these guys would be killed not for what they thought they believed in. They're not killed because of a good, they had a good story to tell. No, they're killed for what they saw, heard, and experienced with Jesus. They're killed not because of their story. They're killed because one day they sat down on the edge of a lake and they ate breakfast with Jesus, who they watched die just a few weeks before. And they stayed focused. I mean, you want to know how they died? And just a few short years later, James, he's beheaded. Thomas, he's shot with arrows. Simon, he's crucified. All right, Mark is burnt alive. Bartholomew, he is beaten with clubs. And then he was crucified. And then just to make sure he was good and dead, they beheaded him. This is the Roman government. All right, Mark, he's burnt alive. Or I said that. Uh, Andrew, he's crucified. Actually, Andrew, one of the disciples who were here, was here during this moment, and when he goes to the cross as they're leading him to the cross, he has these famous words. He says, I would not have preached the honor and glory of the cross if I feared the death of a cross. He said, I've been talking about the cross for years. You think I'm afraid of this thing? No. Matthew, he's run through with a spear. Philip, he was, he was crucified along with his daughters. James was thrown off the temple, and that didn't exactly uh, kill him. And so then he was beaten with clubs. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. And the disciples, you know, who were with Jesus, they're not the only ones who died. For the first 100 to 300 years of the church, all right, the Roman government, all right, who was in charge at the, that time, I mean, they came down hard on Christians. Christians to tell people about what Jesus has done, they were beheaded, they were nailed to posts, they were burned at the stake, they were fed to animals. Rome did that a lot. One thing that they did I was reading up on was they, Rome created this iron, you know, these iron chairs that were then thrown in a furnace and heated up red hot, and they made Christians sit on it. And it was known, number one, for the smell, because it was a horrible smell, but it was also known for not killing people. See, Romans were, they were experts in keeping people alive as long as possible and as painful as possible. Christians were strangled, they were stretched apart, they were sawn in half, they were, their skin was peeled off while they were alive. They were, they were defaced where they would pull off their face, they would pull off their eyelids, they were roasted alive. This wasn't just men like the disciples. No, this was men, women, and children. I was just reading a story um, of, uh, this was maybe, a, uh, you know, 100 AD. So this is right in this, in this time that uh, Rome had found out that there was this, uh, a Roman officer asked a kid or something about whether he believed that Jesus was actually a God, and the kid said, yeah. And so they took this kid, they took the mom and made the mom watch, and they tortured this kid in front of the mom. And all the mom could do to encourage the, her her son, who was about like five years old, all she could do was say, hey, you're going to die soon. It's okay because you're going to die soon. That was her encouragement. It's the best thing he got. Tens of thousands of Christians were forced into slavery. There were, uh, one emperor, he had fed 2,000 Christians to lions in arenas while people cheered. 
There's a lot of cities where there was known that, yeah, yeah, we had piles of dead Christians, and that was known right outside the city, and that was where the wild dogs ate. I mean, one Christian who lived during this time, he wrote, he said, hey, and he was writing to a Roman governor. He says, we multiply when you mow us down. The blood of Christians is like seed. See, early Christians were willing to give their life so you and I can know the truth. Isn't that weird to think about? They gave their life so here today we can sit here and know the truth. But then look at us, right? We don't want to tell our coworker because we're afraid they might look at us weird for a couple days. You know, we've become soft, we've become comfortable, and I don't think that's good for us. I think that's a gift from God, but I don't think that's good. See, back then it was, hey, I believe this story that we've been looking at. Hey, I believe that story so I know that bad things are going to happen in our life. This, this now with us, we're the exact opposite. We, we have bad things that happen in our life, and then we start questioning the story. See, this generation of Christians, you and I, who are Christians in here, we are responsible for this generation of souls. I mean, it's on us. And we've looked at the story now throughout the last five weeks, and we've seen how the truth of the story, we've seen how it has affected people. And it should affect you. And so I just want you to remember some of the last words, especially as you go out into the work week, you know, tomorrow you go to work and with your family. And and I want you to remember the last words that Jesus said, or one of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples before he went, before he left and went back up to heaven. He He said, focus on me. He's telling us this morning, focus on me and my mission and my job that I've given to you. And so if the story's true, it's our job to tell it. That's what every single one of us in here that are Christians, which isn't everybody, but that's, that's what we're here for. That's why we're here in Tiffin. So I just want to encourage you with that. Let's Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for this day, and we thank you for dying for us on that cross 2,000 years ago. And we thank you for that story. We thank you for telling us how that happened. We thank you for all the Christians that came before us that died in horrible, horrible ways, just so that we can know the truth, just so we can have the option of choosing to follow you or not. God, we ask just as you used them that you would use us to reach Tiffin, and to reach Seneca County, God. Help us not to get distracted by all the other things in our life, but to focus on you and the mission that you've given us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.